Hello and welcome to the podcast, Are We Nearly There Yet? My name's Professor Andrew Sherry and I'm interested in people's journeys to discover who they are and what they're made to do. We can all learn something from other people's stories, so join me on another adventure. Grasp every opportunity that comes along with both hands and give it 100%. Be wholehearted. Today I'm talking to Claire Flint. Claire is a senior business leader and a non-exec director of a number of organisations, including the National Nuclear Laboratory and Oxford University Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust. She has a passion for helping organisations connect strategy, people and teams to achieve great results. Claire lives in Oxford and enjoys walking in the countryside and grows vegetables in her garden and eats them, I expect, Claire. Lovely to see you. Hello. Lovely to see you too. Yes, we really enjoy a few organic vegetables. Fantastic. But not a great year, you were telling us earlier. Not a great year. A number of them are shriveled, Andrew. (laughs) I'm sorry to hear that. (laughs) The the, the shelves at the shops are bare at the moment and the vegetables are shriveled in the garden. I don't know. Anyway, let's not worry about that for now. Let's think about you and and growing up. So tell us a little bit about family life when you were growing up and what you were like at school. So um, parents and one brother who um, is disabled, actually. So that sort of had quite a big impact on our family life. Um, What was I like at school? I think I was a fairly diligent child. Um, but also quite um, quite strong-minded, particularly at home. I think the strong-mindedness came up. I, I can remember quite a lot of episodes of sort of stamping my feet and rushing upstairs when I was very young. So I think I was probably a little bit of a handful from that point of view. <laughs> and um, with your, your brother, presumably that impacted home life and maybe options outside of the home and things like that. Yeah, I mean, my mother always said that this sort of, if you have a disabled child you're a disabled family and I think I wasn't very aware of that I mean people have sort of asked me whether I felt that I didn't get enough attention because of my brother's needs and I never felt that so my parents obviously did a good job in that regard but yeah it was things like you know it was very difficult for us to go out for a day you know like kids would go to the seaside or something like that it was tough um so I think life was necessarily a bit more constrained than it might have otherwise been. And, you know, I worried about him because I was his big sister as well. So, Yeah, of course. And that sort of concern for people, I guess, comes through. We'll talk about your career story and where you've worked. I imagine that experience growing up in your family perhaps has given you a bit of a a different perspective on, on, on people in business. Absolutely. And, you know, my sort of view of the world is that it's really important to focus on goals. And I think I'm very orientated towards companies achieving their potential. But that cannot be um, to the detriment of people's potential. The two things have to go hand in hand to have really successful, sustainable businesses. And so I felt very early on when I started work that that was something that was important to me and it's sort of been a theme really throughout my career. Yes, one of your sort of core values really. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
So after school, you went to Queen Mary in London and studied history. And yeah. Was that because history was your favourite subject at school? Or? Yes, <laughs> yes it's one of those cliches from our age group. I think, you know, career services at that time just used to ask you what you enjoyed and then you went and did it and hoped for the best. So, yes. I did. I loved history. But looking back, I'm really glad that I did it, even though, you know, I developed an interest in science later on, which we can talk about. But it really helped me to think about how organisations work and how people work within them, even though I was sort of looking at, you know, medieval and early modern history. If you look at sort of the church and the state at that time, you start to understand a bit about motivation and purpose and all of those sorts of things so I have found it quite relevant. You must have had a brilliant teacher at school to be able to communicate. the. I mean I remember my history teacher he would just come in with a book he would open it and he would say write dictation and your heart would sink and you would he'd read the book and you'd write it out and that was it and you, you kind of learnt to write what he was saying while your mind was thinking about something completely different so it completely passed me by but now through listening to things like some of the history podcasts and things, exactly as you said, it's about people and motivation and purpose and why do people, it's utterly fascinating, so much that can teach us today. Yeah, you see, and you've come to that late and I've come to science late. So. Yeah, there you go, <laughs> we're crossing over in the middle. <laughs> so um, you enjoyed your time in London at university? I did. It was fun. We had a great social life. You know, it was always that bananas nightclub and things like that. Oh, we just had, used to love to dance for hours. We had a great time. Yeah, it was fun. It is a formative time. Did you learn anything about yourself that maybe surprised you or stretched you in different ways during that time? I always sort of kept a bit back at that time. So, you know, I did well in my degree, but you know, there was always that bit of myself that I didn't quite sort of give it a hundred percent. And I think that was about feeling underconfident. It was almost as if if you give it a hundred percent and you do badly, then you sort of got nowhere left to go. And so I was quite interested in that because I've had to work on that over time. And, and I learned a lesson later that it's really important to give a hundred percent of yourself to what you do. So you finished your degree, as you said, you got a good degree, and then you went and you joined B&Q as part of their graduate management scheme. So I guess they had you involved in a variety of things as part of that. What were you doing? Yeah, that was a really tough. I mean, I was I only stayed with them just over the year. And just to sort of give it some context, it was, you know, recession time in the 80s. And I just thought, you know, I need to go on a graduate training scheme. It doesn't really matter very much what the company does. But I was sort of working 50 or 60 hours a week in stores in the East End of London and sort of, you know, having to commute by bus. And um, it was really hard work. And that was very good for me, I think, because, you know, as you sort of progress through sort of to senior management, I think you have to remember how it is for people who work a lot of hours and you know who struggle who struggle with money sometimes and you know who struggle with the number of hours they work and being able to see their family and all of that sort of thing so I'm really pleased that that happened and I remember I'd re resigned and we were doing a stock take and um, I was still there at 11 o'clock at night on my last day 
And I remember I had some nice clothes. Normally we wore uniform and I'd put some nice clothes on because it was my last day. And I slipped over in a pool of patio cleaner on the shop floor and, and I got this patio cleaner all the way up my new skirt. And I thought, that's it. I've had it with this type of work. No more. Thank goodness. So you moved then to the NatWest Bank. Was that something you sort of were actively looking for? On a serious note, I think being q actually really helped me um, to engage with the idea of training and supporting other people to learn new skills. And I did quite a bit of that being q And so I actually saw an advert for someone to join what was called personnel in those days, sort of in, a, in you know, but focused on training and development for part of that west and i just thought i really want to give that a go so that's the sort of background so that 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 gave you some motivation to do that and when you arrived in that west was it sort of what you expected did the place feel like you expected it to feel and were you doing what you yeah it's interesting it was a subsidiary of that west so it was about sort of 500 people uh, in a finance company and um, they had three types of teacup. I always remember this. They sort of had a, you know, quite a basic blue teacup. And then there was a sort of white plain one. And then there was one that was white with a gold rim. And depending on what level you were in the organisation, when the tea lady came around, you had this type of cup, which I was absolutely amazed by, even at that, you know, in the 80s, amazed by. And that did sort of say quite a lot about the culture. Um, but they were changing and they did need to change. And um, it was a young HR team and we had an awful lot of freedom. Um, so I set about thinking, you know, how are we going to develop people? How are we going to give them feedback about their performance? I'd done a bit of reading around the subject, but quite honestly, that was about it, really. And I designed a, a, what used to be called an appraisal system, would now be probably called a performance development discussion right from scratch designed the forms the training everything myself just on my own I look back now and think I was 25 you know what was I doing and you know I had to train all the staff and I had to train the directors and in those days of course we used to have to get booklets published with all these things in which would now be online and um, I'd ordered all these booklets got them printed up and everything and the ones for the director's training sort of were in the corner of the room and I put them all out proudly and I didn't check those booklets. All the others had been fine. These had all been sort of put together back to front by the printer and the pages hadn't been sort of um, separated either. And there was this awful guy who just thought that I was a sort of, you know, a child trying to teach him this experienced man you know, how to run his business or how to manage his stuff. And he tore me to pieces because these booklets weren't properly done. And I just can remember thinking, you know, I can take this one of two ways. I can either sort of just, you know, collapse in a heap or I can think, no, actually, the things that I'm trying to explain and trying to encourage people to use do matter. Um, and I decided, you know, I was going to stand up for myself, which I did in a polite way. Um, and, you know, I feel quite proud, really, that the, those principles that I was trying to encourage people to use then really are still things that organisations do. 
And I sort of did it from first principles without really having had very much experience. That's really encouraging, isn't it? That you saw something in it and and it and the test of time has shown it was the right thing. But equally, you responded to that little moment yeah. in the way that you did, because we always all have these little moments and they can be really hard for all sorts of different reasons. And everybody goes through them, but often it's how you respond to that moment, you know, given the choice. Yeah. Wow. Well done. Well done. Um, so you, you did that and um, you did some training alongside your time uh, there as well, didn't you? You did a diploma in labour studies. Did you, were you pleased you'd done that? I presume it was difficult balancing studies and work and long days and evenings and weekends and things it was I mean it was it's it was the sort of CIPD exams as they are now so um yep so I used to have to go down from Enfield to Holloway on a a two nights a week for two and a half hours um and do that evening class and then there'd be lots of assignments and things like that on top of work so it was quite tough but it was really important to get that sort of more academic thinking to sit alongside some of the practical experience that I was having so yeah I am I think it stood me in good stead although it was tough at the time um so after three years you then took an opportunity at the Bass group and then later you moved to Diageo so at Diageo all of a sudden your world was opening up literally wider world tell us what you were doing there So I started in management development and um, worked there for about a year and then got the opportunity to move into broader HR. And by the end, I was sort of responsible for um, Asia, Europe and the head office staff um, from a, you know, as a suite of full HR sort of support. Um, And that was great for the first time I was working with senior management teams um, being part of that decision-making process um, and sort of being able to think strategically about the business and see how um, people and organisation could contribute to that. So that was a great time for me and I had some fantastic colleagues. I mean, I still feel as if that organisation was sort of five to ten years ahead in their thinking in HR. And so people, you know, went on to sort of be a group HR director for BET or run Ashridge or, you know, Disney. People went to lots of big roles from there. And I think, you know, they provided such good training alongside practical experience. And we went on a lot of sort of quite formal training courses. You know, you can remember when they were sort of merely a week long rather than sort of half a day as they are now. But I felt so grateful for that because I really felt I was building my skill set, building my craft and getting an opportunity to get some really good input. Yeah. And it shows the organisation is really investing in you as a person, you know, for the future of that organisation and actually wider, you know, wherever you end up sort of thing. Yeah, it was a really fabulous time. Yeah. Yeah. And at this point, did you have a real sense or a growing sense of what your your strengths were? Maybe some areas that you thought that's really not me and I'm going to keep away from it. And also your passions. I often think, you know, strengths and passions, where they come together. I suppose you know, the passion was still there for helping people to realise their potential. But thankfully, not so true now. But then HR people didn't tend to involve themselves in the business in terms of understanding the numbers, 
understanding the products, understanding the strategy. And I realized quite quickly that that was a huge mistake and that they would never be relevant unless they were prepared to embrace that. And a lot of times it seemed a sort of bit of a functional lack of confidence, if that's the right term. Um, so I decided that I wasn't going to go down that route and that I was really going to focus on understanding those things. And I worked with some great teams who helped me to do that. So I loved that and bringing that together with the people stuff was fantastic. I sort of decided I didn't like, I didn't like remuneration work, so reward work and that sort of thing at the time. And I don't know why I decided that. I think because I'd always been told at school I wasn't any good at maths. And so I thought, you know, I won't be able to deal with this. I won't be able to understand the numbers. Later, I discovered that I really enjoyed it. So it, I think it's important not to make assumptions about your skills and yourself and what you might enjoy from things that other people have sort of said to you or imposed on you as, as a child. And I, I think a lot of people carry those sorts of burdens and it stops them from doing things that they might otherwise enjoy. Yeah, it's very true. And, and I mean, I can remember things my teacher said to me at school, you know, and you think, well, again, it was, it, you know, it was almost like decision points. Am I going to receive this and, and live with this comment about me or am I going to do something positive about it and, and push back, which fortunately for me is what I, I ended up doing. It's great you had that awareness, but I think some people just get worn down by it and perhaps they don't realise that there's a sort of decision point. They just take it on. And I think also what can happen, and certainly some of the young people I talk to, is they can almost feel guilty or like an imposter, you know, in, in their current role, um, perhaps because of things that they've been told younger or the culture and the environment they're in now. And um, it's hard that, you know, that sort of imposter syndrome and how you, you overcome it and, and push through to be the real you and, and accept who you are, you know. It really is. And to be honest, I don't think I entirely got rid of it until I was about 50. <laughs> There's always moments, aren't there, when you're just thinking, why am I here? Do I deserve to be here? Um, so quite right. And uh, I think it's taken me all this long time to really feel that I don't, don't have that anymore. And it's a very freeing feeling when you don't. Somebody once said you get to a certain point in your life where you can kind of accept who you are and you kind of know your strengths and your passions and what you're good at. And that at that point and there on is where you can really make an impact. You know, I think that's quite right. So I'm sort of having a second career and it started at about 50 when I started to feel that way. So um, you moved from there and you, you joined Oxford Instruments as, as human resources manager and on the exec first HR lead on the exec team of the division. Um, what sort of prompted that move? And again, was it what you expected? Well, it was partly about just practicalities, really. I had a very young daughter. I didn't want to be traveling into London every day. And I was asked to apply for it. And so, you know, it worked out well from that point of view. I didn't really know much about science businesses. I mean, in the end, brewing is a very simple process. And what sits around it is marketing PR product um, and that that was interesting but I always felt and I'm please forgive me those people that enjoy a drink but I never really felt that that was making a difference to the world but when I joined Oxford Instruments and I saw the sorts of things they were doing um, 
you know, in characterization and environments for science, um, in quantum computing or the beginnings of quantum computing, all of those sorts of things. I just felt so enthused by that. And I really started to feel like this is where I belong and this, this makes a difference. And such, such a different sort of business and presumably the, you know, the culture of the organization was different, but coming in as a leadership executive sort of role, you've got an opportunity to influence and shape that, haven't you? And it was, you know, it was an organization that hadn't thought about marketing at all and hadn't really thought about people in the sense of managing people. People sort of did stuff when you paid them and, you know. So, I mean, I used to be a bit unkind and say that HR was a function that sort of booked temps and, you know, talked to people when they cried, but it was a bit like that. And, um, and so because of the knowledge I'd got and the great training I'd had, I felt like I had a blank canvas really to start to build something that would really be able to contribute to what we were about. So I started in one of the divisions and then was asked to move to head office and they hadn't had a group HR director before. So I was eventually appointed to that role and um, the business really took off. I mean, we set ourselves, uh, just to give you a sense of, of what happened over the time I was there, the share price was 99p at one point and we got it to 18 pounds before I left and it's now sort of 25 pounds, something like that. So it's a story of great, really great organic growth, lots of acquisitions, um, really challenging environment. I mean, I, I love working with scientists um, for lots of reasons, but they are extremely challenging, rightly so, because of their background and training. So that was new for me and I really needed to think about what I was saying and the arguments I was making in much more detail than I had to do when I was in fast moving consumer goods. So, you know, but I loved it and um, I felt we were doing something important in the world. And the thing that mattered most to me was that we were hugely successful with PLC of the year in 2012. You know, we, we really did so well, but we were able, I think, to share that success with colleagues around the world. And it was a truly international organization. And we had a pride in what we did. And it, we showed that it's possible, I think, to be a great place to work and to be really successful. And there was doubt about that in those days, I think far less now, but you know, people felt actually that they needed to squeeze the employees in order to get business success. Quite, quite the opposite is true. Right, yes, that's right. And, and tell us a little bit about the sort of the exec team and how it felt to be part of that team because you're playing your role, but it's that team context that's taken the leadership as well. So I guess the personalities, the passions, the um, the ideas about the future, the direction, the discussion, all that kind of working through is 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 so important, isn't it? And to play your part in that team. It is. And, and one of the things that I most enjoyed, so we had a what was called the general committee, which was the sort of most senior managers in the organisation. And there were, I think eight of us so they were sort of divisional leads and then the functional leads as well so finance HR I think we we melded together and brought a whole load of different perspectives together into something that really worked and we we worked very hard on strategy and then 
once we felt that we'd interrogated that strategy and got it right, we worked really hard on communicating it and sort of getting feedback from employees about it as well and engaging them in that in a way that I hadn't seen done before. I mean, we did blogs, we did discussions, we did all sorts of things that now, you know, lots of people do, but people weren't doing it then. And um, it let us, I think, move forward together. Yeah, we were just a great team, but there was, you know, there was was also some challenge in there. I mean, the finance director and I worked well together, but certainly didn't always see eye to eye. Um, You know, he was very much, one of those finance directors that held the purse strings very tight. Um, A lot of my um, views were about investing in people and organization. And, you know, that can quite low down his priority list often. Um, So I had to find ways to get him to see things differently. And sometimes he didn't, Um, you know, but that was, That was an interesting dynamic. And I think for the organization actually worked quite well because we ended up somewhere in the middle, which was probably right. Yeah, I think I think that's that thing. And actually it's a bit bit about kind of diversity as well. Having those different views, perspectives, backgrounds, and all of that actually does lead you to a better place because you're 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 pulling back from the extremes often to find you know the right balance. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just to sort of say on diversity, I mean, I was the only woman on that team for seven years. So that was I did find that quite exhausting because people come. I think, you know, as you say, people come from different places. Their behavior sort of comes from a particular type of upbringing or, you know, experience in life. But when there are six people or seven people around the table who've got a very similar experience and you're in the minority, it's tough. And that taught me quite a lot, I think, about how it is for minorities generally in the workplace and why we need to think how it is to be in a minority, because it is a different and difficult place to be. Um, And it's quite important not only to have diversity around the table, but also for people to feel that they have somebody like them that they can look up to or talk to. And, you know, I found it much easier when the gender balance was better, just less exhausting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, yes, yes. I mean, um, it's, it's almost like, I imagine, you know, over years and over different meetings when you're trying to present a particular perspective, but again, you're getting getting knocked back again you're getting knocked back you know it's and that's where resilience is so important and I suppose holding on to what you believe in you know is that core belief and that core value that you you have to go back to and push off again from absolutely and I think the important thing is if you can if you're lucky enough to find an organization where your values and the organization's values are a good fit and it's much easier to hold on to that and to challenge and to be strong. If that doesn't overlap well, then I think that those sorts of workplaces can be quite exhausting. Then this sort of other part of your career started to open up. You went and you're an industrial member on the campaign board for the Institute of Physics about raising funds to promote advancement of physics. And then through the Women in Boards program, you joined the National Nuclear Laboratory Board. So now you're making a sort of transition from 
executive responsibility for the business into non-executive role. How did you find that sort of transition from being an executive to being a non-executive? What were the, the surprises that you found on that? So I think my functional background is quite a good training for, for that because it is about performance through others, really. And a non-exec role is much more about that. So, so it was quite a nice transition for me in many ways. Um, I loved working and have loved working with NNL because it was quite close to the sorts of team that, teams that I worked with in Oxford Instruments. Um, and, you know, they were so good to me because I started really feeling that imposter syndrome. Um, you know, thinking, what on earth can I add to the National Nuclear Lab? You know, I'm not even a scientist. Um, and, but, you know, people were very generous with their time, you know, understanding, learning the business and allowing me to have a bit of a practice as, you know, as part of the Women on Board scheme, really, um, before I was asked to join the, the organisation uh, on a more permanent basis. So I didn't find that transition too difficult, but it was sort of the time that I was losing that imposter syndrome, you know, that age 50, as we talked about, and starting to feel like, you know, I could be really wholehearted about doing that role. Yes, yes. So tell us about, um, before you were saying that you always sort of held a little bit back in case you were disappointed, you'd given 100% and there was nowhere to go. And tell us about that a little bit or any examples at this point. Um, I suppose I did that a bit in Oxford Instruments to some extent as well. It was quite um, it was quite an aggressive environment in some ways. And so holding that little bit back is sort of a way of not of not putting yourself completely on the line. And I think if I'm honest, when I started my non-exec career, both with Scope and with NNL and later with um, Oxford Hospitals, um, I just thought, right. I'm going to go for it now. I'm really going to go for it. I've got this experience and they want me to, to do what I do. And, um, you know, I'm going to give it hundred percent deliberately. And I have done that. And I think it's paid huge dividends for me personally. I mean, I think it's very, very rewarding when you do that. And actually I sort of wish I hadn't held back for so long. Yeah, it is interesting. And I know sometimes in business and there are certain moments in your career where it does take everything you've got. And, um, you know, I found in those moments that for, for me, even if we had failed and some some of them we did, there was never any sense of disappointment that I could have given more. So I kind of saw it slightly the other way around, I suppose, in a strange sort of way. I think that's much more healthy, can I say? It's your way of looking at it. <laughs> but I guess it wasn't about not giving it my all in the sense of sort of time spent or effort it was more about a little bit of emotional holding back if that makes sense so so looking back I'm just wondering if there's one event or one sort of personal relationship or something which had a really significant pivotal impact on on your career yeah there was some um, a senior manager a woman um at Diageo um Lorraine and um she was a fantastic role model um, she was really principled. She was super bright. She got to the top of an organisation at a time when a lot of women didn't. Um, you know, she knew how to sort of influence the CEO 
the chair, the senior decision makers in the right way to get things done. Um, and she really cared about people in her team and in the wider organization as well. And um, she brought together sort of intellect, academic sort of rigor and practical um, and a practical approach. Um, and I just thought she was fab. And, uh, you know, I wanted to be like her when I was a young manager. Um, and funny enough, she's retired now and we occasionally meet for coffee still. And, you know, I've actually probably gone further than she did because she just chose not to sort of carry on after a certain age. Um, and it's really nice to sort of hear her perspectives now on, you know, what I'm doing, why she sort of changed tack and she does a lot of art and things like that now and is having a completely sort of different sort of second half of her life. Um, but yeah, she was wonderful. It's great. And it's lovely to have somebody like that. You can you can talk to openly and honestly and bounce, you know, experiences, ideas and that sort of thing and value their perspective, isn't it? It is. is. And what about looking back on on the young Claire at school? If you could give your younger self one piece of advice, what do you think it would be? I think it would be grasp every opportunity that comes along with both hands and give it hundred percent be wholehearted be wholehearted oh that's great advice claire thanks so much for your time today it's been a delight thank you andrew lovely to see you if you've enjoyed this podcast to help others enjoy it too please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and don't forget to rate and review Thank you.